Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to an off-season edition of Blue Jays Nation Radio. I'm Cam Lewis, joined with Brendan Kuhn, and we are going to go through and take a look at this year's top free agents and figure out where they're going to go. We're going to make some guesses. I don't know if we're going to hold ourselves accountable and admit when we were wrong, you know, when March, April rolls around, but we're going to make some bold predictions. Uh, I have never been wrong when it comes to anything baseball related. Uh, just don't look at past tweets. But yes, there's a, there's a fun list of names. We have a team that we uh, like to talk about who has money to spend, and it should be a really interesting offseason. Yeah, also just question for the listeners. Are you getting a haircut right now? Are you going to break one of these signings during the podcast? Uh, not getting a haircut right now. Uh, I've never <laughs> podcasted while getting a haircut, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> But that comes up quite a bit, and now I feel like any opportunity I ever have to break something again will be undercut by the fact that I probably won't be at the barbershop, and that is a big hit to my brand. So, uh, yeah, complicated uh, factor for me this offseason, but I can't go to the barbershop every single day. I can't afford to go to the barbershop every single day, as nice as that would be. A nice little beard trim or something like that, but can't do it. At least unlike me, you actually have hair to cut. So that's a positive for you. But anyways, before we get into this, this podcast is brought to you by DoorDash. If you're a first time user of the app DoorDash, use the promo code BJNPODDD and you will get 25% off your first order with no delivery fees. So once you're finished with this podcast and we've you know gotten you all excited about the 10 different guys the Blue Jays are going to sign when they up their payroll to a billion dollars, go ahead and get yourself a pizza or a Subway, or a, you know some kind of thing. Order yourself some food and have a nice Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is you're listening to this. Anyway, so before we get into the fridge and predictions, what I kind of wanted to do was let's take a look back at the GM meetings that have been happening this week. We've got a whole bunch of interesting news about the Blue Jays. There's a whole bunch of names being thrown out. But one thing that really stuck out to me is in a post by Shai Davidi at Sportsnet on Thursday, he said that the Blue Jays are in line for a pretty significant payroll increase. We don't know specifics, but that's going to be coming in the next week or so. Yeah, that's great news uh, for a team that, I mean, fans will, it's easy to forget how challenging uh, the last two years have been for the Jays. Um, and not that we want to uh, be too worrisome for the pockets of owners, uh, billionaire owners. But yeah, the Jays have had uh, realized revenue far less than every other team in baseball the last two years. So 
it's been nice to see the spending that happened last offseason, even though it meant a future year of uncertainty. And now as the Jays hopefully enter a period where they're back to being able to make money once again, um, in the same way as they would have projected a couple of years ago, uh, it's nice that the continued uh, commitment to spending is there. So uh, who knows how high that number will go, but I think the Jays have lots of flexibility to really do um, what they want this offseason. They won't be held back too much by financial limitations. Yeah, the one number that I've seen thrown around a whole bunch, and we have no idea if it's valid or not, because also the number hasn't yet been accepted, but apparently the the, the, the number that I keep seeing is $180 million, And that's going to be important because one thing we've kind of learned at the GM meetings, and I mean, I think it was pretty obvious coming into the offseason in general, is that more so than last winter, like you said, everyone was dealing with the financial ramifications of the pandemic last winter, but this year it's going to be different. There's a whole bunch more teams that are going to be in the mix to spend. Like this year, now you have the Giants who have their breakout year. They want to throw some cash around. The Seattle Mariners had an inexplicably good year. They're ready to spend. The Tigers have been tanking for years now, and they're ready to throw some money around. Yankees, Dodgers, teams that are always in the mix. The Angels. Texas Rangers are just like, hey, we're going to spend like 80 to $100 million this offseason. Like crazy. So yeah, it's very different landscape. It was fun last offseason just being like, hey, it's us in the mix. Jays Mets, Jays Mets. Every (laughs) single guy, Jays Mets. All that matters. So yeah, a pretty big uh, change, which is good for baseball. Um, Selfishly, as you know, Jays followers, it's nice when there's a limited market and everyone's trying to chase the Jays to get money out of them. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a really competitive offseason. I do think it'll be one of those years where, like, every contract that is signed is like, oh, you got that much? Um, so we'll, we'll probably see a lot of that and big reactions to to that. But that's good for baseball if there's if there's money to be spent out there. And, uh, and yeah, it's just it's weird to see teams like Texas just be like, yeah, we're just going to start spending money. It's like, all right. There's two clear tanking teams, uh, Cincinnati and Oakland. And they've got a lot of good players to trade. But other than that, um, every other team seems to be either like mid-rebuild where they don't have anybody to give up, but they're on the ascent. Um, or, you know, they're ready to be competitive. Or they're just the Orioles where they're absolutely nothing and remain nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting kind of dynamic of tanking teams versus competing teams. And it's much more the latter this year than in the past, I don't know, five years even. Yeah, we're going to see ourselves some massive contract handed out this year. And I think that's the place to start is, so we've broken up our free agents into three categories that are relevant to the Blue Jays. We have impact position players, which features three guys, uh, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, and Chris Bryant. Those are, I in my mind, the, the big three position players in the market. You could include Freddie Freeman there, of course, but you know the Jays have Vlad Jr., so it's just not going to happen. And then we've also split the rest into starting pitchers because, as we know, the Jays need to sign two I mean, they could re-sign Robbie Ray, Steven Matz. That could be the two guys. We don't know, but they have to add two starting pitchers. And then we have our third category, which is depth, lefty bats, and relievers. More role players to kind of patch up the roster. So I want to start with the big impact position players. And Brendan's put together a very beautiful Excel spreadsheet here, which organizes the guys based on the median dollar figure that uh, different outlets are projecting they're going to get on their contract. So we've aggregated NBC Sports, uh, Fangraphs, ESPN, The Athletic, CBS Sports, um, MLB Trade Rumors, and ESPN. And we've, um, you know, mixed them all together. And those are all, you know, reputable sources. So we're kind of going go, going to use this as kind of how we're going to guess. And the number one player on this list is Carlos Correa, who got a hilarious offer. 
from the Houston Astros to stick around. Like, absolutely. Like, I'm shocked that the Astros would even leak that. He was, what was it, like five years, 150? Five years, 160. It's exactly, it's pretty much half of what you would expect him to get. Like, exactly half. Like, probably 10, 320 makes sense. So, 5, 160, exactly half of that. Um, a stunning under offer that was just i think uh, an empty gesture to say hey fans we tried and for the fans of baseball that don't follow the economics closely we'll look at it and be like over 30 million a year 160 million dollars that's crazy how can you turn that down and then turn on the player uh but in reality that's that's a very underwhelming offer that never had a chance of being signed and no absolutely not that. it's this is this is hollow like when the jays were apparently after you darvish um and and they just come up like significantly short so it's pretty fair to say that houston or the houston astros are going to allow carlos correa to walk in which case the median dollar figure that you have for him here is 297 million dollars and, and one and team to- Sorry, I had to cut in there, uh, not to take credit for the spreadsheet. John Becker on Twitter, uh, good follow. He's put together this matrix of all these different rumors and numbers and stuff like that. So I cut it down for our podcast today, but the original data comes from him. Um, but yeah, kind of that 300 million territory, Korea, lots of links to the Detroit Tigers, which is interesting. Um, they, they make sense as a team on the ascent and maybe not ready to win a division next year, but they might be a year away from being that really competitive team and, and kind of where the Jays were two years ago. Right. So really interesting team um, amongst others, it, it'll be a really hot market and hopefully it's not the Yankees. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be the Yankees. It seems inevitable that New York is going to land one of these two guys. The next one we'll talk about obviously is Corey Seager. Uh, the Yankees have apparently already been in talk with Correa. So it just kind of seems, I mean, maybe it's advantageous for the Jays if the Yankees go ahead and sign Correa. They blow their whole load on one guy and they don't want to add anybody else. Then they're not right. getting with Toronto. That might not be a terrible thing, but we obviously don't want to see the Yankees get better. So the number two guy on the list now is Corey Seager, who we see getting a contract around $245 million over eight years. And to mention also the Shai Davidi post from yesterday, Davidi speculated, and this could be a shot in the dark, or it could be an educated guess, knowing Shai is obviously very well connected. He views Corey Seager as the Blue Jays' ideal target this winter. Yeah, Shai is not going to throw out a name uh, of a player who's going to receive probably $250 million plus um, out of completely nowhere. And Seager makes a lot of sense. His bat is exactly what the Jays would desire, right? So they've talked a lot about lineup balance, and he's a left-handed hitter. Um, he's obviously a shortstop by trade. The Jays have said they're committed to Bobachet there. Um, but Seeker's not an exceptionally good shortstop. Uh, he kind of fits probably a third base profile like his brother. Um, and he could play the Semyon role where he slides over to shortstop on days that Bo is out, uh, taking a day off or a DH day or potentially injured. Um, but Seeker's a high walk left-handed bat with power strikes out like 16% of his at bat. So a, a below average strikeout rate. Um, and just an impact bat. He's obviously battled injuries throughout his career, which is one element that's a little worrisome. But, uh, man, when he's healthy, he's like the perfect number two hitter for this team. Um, and to be frank, I, I, I would say that eight years, 30 million AAV is probably the low end. I know that's the median this list came out to. Um, but as much as I, I think Correa has the best chance at eclipsing 300 million and expect him to, um, I would not be shocked to see Seager be a $300 million guy as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like you and everyone says, like the Seager is the perfect addition to the Jays because 
as we kind of noticed last year, their lineup was quite one-dimensional. It was a bunch of guys who, you know, right-handed, heavy hitters. The Jays really badly need to add a lefty bat in the middle of there. And I don't think um, adding, I know you're a big fan of the Kyle Schwarber edition, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. later, but you know, a Kyle Schwarber kind of thing is not the same as Corey Seager. Like I've watched a ton of Dodgers over the past few years and the difference between when that guy is in the lineup and when he's not is night and day. Like when, when Corey Seager is playing every day, the Los Angeles Dodgers are a significantly better team. And the other thing about Corey Seager that I like too, is, um, he's a notoriously clutch player. I mean, he had a, it, it was kind of overshadowed last year by Randy Orozarena hitting 900 home runs in the playoffs, but Seager right. had like a historically good playoff run for the Dodgers in 2020. So if there was a player on this market to throw a bunch of cash at, for me, it's very easily Corey Seager. George Springer and uh, Corey Seager, high reputation yeah. playoff guys. So yeah, just get into the playoffs with those guys and uh, you'll hit a bunch of dingers and uh, those guys who rise to the moment. So yeah, an exceptionally good fit for the Jays. Uh, hopefully the Yankees stay away. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a great third baseman fit he would be. I'm going to gloss over one more quickly. Like we said earlier, this isn't going to happen for the Jays, even though it'd be sweet if it did is Freddie Freeman. There's, there's no way it's going to happen because Vlad has entrenched himself at first base. It is what it is. There just simply isn't a fit there, but one of the predictions in MLB trade rumors for Freddie Freeman is him joining the Boston Red Sox. That would suck. That would really suck. Um, I, I'd still be shocked to see him leave Atlanta uh, at the same point. Like if his market escalates to like six years, $180 million or something like that, um, they might have to give pause to that. And uh, yeah, I, he just a lethal left-handed bat. Great guy. Fun to watch. Um I'd be thrilled to just see him stick it around in the NL and not have to worry about him in any <laughs> negative aspect here. But hey, like Boston's got a hole to fill at first base uh, if they don't want to hand that position to Bobby Dalbeck. And uh, obviously a guy like Freeman is a perfect fit. So no, thank you. So next up on the list after we've gone through Correa Seager and Freeman is we have Chris Bryant, who was traded from the Chicago Cubs to the San Francisco Giants, kind of was a pretty pretty big part i'd say of san francisco's huge season i mean i still look at that and i can't figure out why they were so good it's really hard to wrap your head around but brian was fantastic and he's gonna earn himself a huge deal i think it makes a ton of sense for him just to stick in san francisco like he seemed to fit in very well there and and did quite well i mean and the giants had a whole fuck ton of money to pay so it just kind of makes sense but other teams in the mix people are talking about seattle he makes some sense there to replace um kyle seager where do you think chris brian ends up yeah, I think uh, Seattle is going to get one of Marcus Semyon or uh, Chris Bryant. Um, one would play second base, uh, the other would play third. Uh, I don't think they get both of them, but that's kind of how they see that with uh, keeping J.P. Crawford at shortstop. So, um, yeah, I, I expect Seattle to be in on one of those guys, and uh, Chris Bryant's a good fit. He gives me some worry because he obviously had the big prospect reputation and then the monster entry into baseball, um, but he was an elite player his first three seasons like elite top of baseball player he has not been that guy since um he, he's been good uh last year he was quite bad uh but that's 2020 marcus Simeon was bad. like last year was a weird year you can kind of toss out but yeah. he's gone from being elite to being a good player and these projections have him making like 150 million dollars uh in some cases more he plays next year at the age of 30 um I, I'm not super interested in that. Last year, he had a 123 WRC plus weighted runs created plus, um, but he had a monster first two months. Like it was like, oh, hey, old Chris Bryant is back. And then after that, he kind of was just average hitter the rest of the season for four months. So yeah, I'm not I'm not super high on Chris Bryant for the dollars he's going to get. Good player, 
Um, I expect him to be San Fran or Seattle. But, uh, yeah, not, not a great fit for the Jays. I'm a Blue Jays draft pick, Chris Bryant, so no interest in that. Right. <laughs> what was he, like a 40th round pick or something? Yeah, like, something like that. One of those toss away picks like, It was a lot school, higher than that. It was, uh, they drafted in the 18th round, the 2010 draft. I thought it was way lower than that, but yeah, interesting. interesting stuff. Yeah. So, and then the next one we have here, of course, is our good friend, uh, Blue Jays legend, one of the best, uh, potentially one and done seasons in Blue Jays history, Marcus Semien, gold glove, silver slugger, probably going to, you know, probably going to finish third in MVP voting. Uh, the median thing here has him signing a four-year deal worth a total of 110 mil. That's a little bit easier to stomach because Semyon's older than, say, like a Correa or a Seager who's going to get, you know, eight, nine, ten years. But I think we've all, largely a lot of Jays fans have kind of accepted Semyon's probably going to leave and move out west, right? That, that kind of seems inevitable. It seems inevitable. Um, I expect him to get a fifth year, too. I think that's like there will be four-year offers out there, but I think what closes the deal will be that fifth year from a team um and i think he's going to be one of those guys that the market or general fans react to and are like wow he he got that much like i i could see him eclipsing the total dollars that springer got like i think seattle could get desperate realize that they're not a good you know they're not getting any of these other guys and then all of a sudden throw 165 million dollars at marcus Semyon. um who you and i both love, like just what, oh, yeah. like you Fantastic. said, possibly a one and done season. And if that's the case, a historically good one. Um, and paired that with an awesome guy. Great to have around. Um, he did have some batted ball stuff that makes you pause on how maybe to project to moving forward. Obviously the home runs were insane. Um, he outperformed uh, his, you know, expected batted ball stuff. Uh, he obviously doesn't get to play in Dunedin Buffalo for two thirds of the season moving forward. He will be getting older. Um, his strikeout rate the last two years has gone up from what it was his like, you know, borderline MVP season in 2019. So um, I don't know how to project him forward. He will be a very good player. Uh, I just don't know how good uh, that will be, but yeah, probably leaves uh, the Jays and, and obviously good memories of, of the season we were able to have, but yeah, not sure. Not sure that's uh, that's happening for the Jays. Yeah, the going out West thing just seems inevitable to me too. I mean, you have places where he would fit, like, you know, the Angels want to spend a bunch of money and they always go ahead and just add a random guy like that, a good player like an Anthony Rendon. Like, it would make sense for them to sign Simeon. It would make sense if Seattle misses out on Chris Bryant to go ahead and sign Marcus Simeon. Same with the Dodgers. Like, um, Simeon's great. He would match their team quite well. If Seager leaves, then Marcus Simeon fits, I think, pretty well. But, yeah, like like we both said, it it, it does kind of seem inevitable. Simeon will move on. It's kind of unfortunate. But if the Jays do go ahead and throw money at, you know, Corey Seager, then it makes it a lot easier to accept that. Anyway. Absolutely. But, yeah, let's, let's move on to starting pitchers. And... The number one on this list here, of course, is soon to be American League Cy Young winner Robbie Ray. And the median contract here is 113 mil over five years. That's pretty much exactly what Zach Wheeler got from the Phillies a few years ago. It's a little bit less than what his former teammate Patrick Corbin got from the Washington Nationals. Would you be comfortable giving Robbie Ray this deal if you were the Blue Jays? I think so. I think this is the very upper tier of what I'd be comfortable get, uh, giving Robbie Ray. At the same time, I, this is another contract where I would take the over. Um, if you know you're saying, well, well, does he exceed 113 million or not? Um, yeah, I, I expect him to to go over that as well. Um, 
there's some interesting metric stuff with Robbie Ray as well, where as a two pitch pitcher, I think we're getting more comfortable. Baseball is getting more comfortable with the idea of two pitch starters. Um, the problem is when you're a two pitch starter, your stuff needs to remain elite. And uh, some of the data on Robbie Ray, and this is actually the same for Steven Matz is when that fastball is 93, 94, he gets hit. And when it's 95 plus he doesn't. So the question is, how do you project Robbie Ray's velocity as he's, you know, into his thirties, you know, three, four five years down the road. And if he's a 92 mile an hour pitcher, uh, fastball pitcher with only two pitches, all of a sudden he might, you know, deteriorate quite a bit in performance. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of risk with Robbie Ray. I, I would probably say between him and Semyon far more likely to return to the Jays and Semyon yep. um, at the same time, I, I could see the allocation of resources for pitching for the Jays to be a little different, maybe focus more on two, three-year guys, which we'll talk about uh, a little later in the podcast. And, uh, and yeah, focus on that big pitcher contract going to Jose Brios, whether it be this offseason in extension or next year when he's a free agent. Yeah, that's another thing to consider with the Jays when we're talking about signing guys is we're, we get all worked up about who they can add, but then we have to remember who they need to retain, which is Jose Barrios has one season left before free agency to Oscar Hernandez too. Bowen Vlad are getting into arbitration right away. They're going to need, I, I would imagine that we're going to start more seriously talking about their big long-term deals yep. uh, after the collective bargaining agreement's been signed because they don't know what they're getting themselves into. It's not going to happen right now. But MLB Trade Rumors has... All three of the guys at MLB Trade Rumors has Robbie Ray sticking around in Toronto. And in the same vein, the other kind of top free uh, free agent pitcher on the market, Kevin Gosman, they also have sticking around with the Giants. So it wouldn't be overly shocking to see these two guys who had, they're kind of similar situations, you know, yep. pitchers who had great years with a team just stick around because they did well in that environment. Given how much money Kevin, uh, sorry, the San Francisco Giants have to spend this offseason, if they aren't the high bidder on Kevin Gossman after getting to know him for a year and a half, I'd be a little bit concerned, right? Because yep. you're looking at him like if any team is going to retain a player, it's the Giants who have a massive holes in their rotation. They know Gossman well. They gave him the qualifying offer, which surprised last year. So all, all of a sudden they're deciding to walk away from him. Um, yeah, I would, I would be very hesitant to be the team that's outbidding the giants for him. So it'd be interesting to see. I can't imagine him going anywhere else. And I would all of a sudden have like red flags blaring if uh, yeah, if another team ended up being the, um, the place Gosman goes to. The next picture we have on the list is one. I think the blue Jays have no prayer of signing personally. I think it's inevitable. He resigns with where he is, is Max Scherzer. The median here is 103 mil for him. He's 37 years old. He's still good enough to get a deal worth hundred mil. And I just think he was fantastic for the Dodgers after they got him uh, at the trade deadline. And it, it just makes all kind of sense. This, this kind of hooks up to another, another pitcher on this list is Clayton Kershaw, who I think he wasn't qualified by the Dodgers. So it makes him, makes it a little bit easier for him to move on. It kind of seems natural that LA sticks with one of their old pitchers, old guys, yep. which is Scherzer and then lets Kershaw go. And my guess is Kershaw goes to the Texas Rangers where he's from. Yeah, it seems to be that the lack of qualifying offer to Kershaw was uh, a bit of a courtesy um, yeah, it was a by the Dodgers. I, yeah, Andrew Friedman talking about it kind of made it seem that way. Um, there's a chance that's just how the team is framing it, and they're a little bit more worried about his arm than you know they want to let on in public for his sake, which, again, would be another courtesy doing solid, move. But yeah. they've essentially been talking like if he wants to return, he can. 
which makes it seem like, okay, so clearly they have an indication that he might not want to return. And as you mentioned, the only reason he wouldn't return to the Dodgers where he clearly loves it is to go home to Texas. And he lives in Dallas year round. It's where he's from. Uh, it's where his, his wife is from. His kids are going to school there. Um, so I think all this is built around Clayton Kershaw having a choice between two teams um, and with no draft pick attached to him and a, a, you know, a team that was bad last year at Texas. So their second round pick is going to be high in the draft. Not having to give that up to sign him is a big plus for them. Um, so yeah, the, the, the hints of the kind of the context we hear kind of makes it seem like uh, Texas Rangers are the most likely place for him. Um, but yeah, it, either way, he's not going to be a Blue Jay. So next name up is another former friend, one who I do not think the Blue Jays will be in the mix to sign. Personally, I can't imagine. They, it seems like the Jays are going to be kicking tires on literally everybody on this free agent market, and I would guess that they don't kick tires on this guy. It's Marcus Stroman, the median. Um, the, the median deal here on the spreadsheet is 91 mil, which I think might seem a little bit low for Stroman, to be totally honest. I think if he saw that, he wouldn't be thrilled about it either. Uh, where, do you, where do you think uh, the Stroh show ends up? Do you think he sticks around with the Mets, or is he going somewhere else? No, I think this will be one of, the, one of the players who just has a very broad market, and maybe a team that misses out on one of the shortstops that they're chasing all of a sudden realizes, hey, we can't spend big money on a position player, uh, so now we're going to pivot to a pitcher. So... Um, in my head, Stroman is a guy who just sticks around the market for a while and then lands a great contract at the end. Um, I know uh, it might have been Arden or Ben uh, at the Letters podcast recently mentioned that uh, they were talking about the Jays and they'll pretty much touch base with every single free agent except one. Um, and then I think Ben said, yes, one diminutive uh, right-hander. <laughs> that was the end of the discussion. Uh, yeah, there, there's just not a relationship to be salvaged there. Um, Stroman also knows that I, I know he kind of pandered to the Jays fan base earlier in the off season talking about, Oh yeah. Like I'd, you know, I'd love to return that type of thing. He knows that's not happening. He's just saying that to make the fans continue to love them and buy that HDMH merch, um, from North of the border. But, uh, yeah, he, he's going to get, uh, I can see him getting a hundred million for sure. Um, a team like Seattle, if they somehow lose out on their infield targets, they're going after, uh, they could just be like, okay, we're throwing big money at a pitcher now. So he'll stick around on the market for a while and then sign a, a very you know, uh, advantageous deal for him. A place where I could actually see him winding up, and it seems like this is the place where he wanted to go all along, was uh, with the Yankees. Like, New York needs to add some starting pitching. I think Stroman would thrive in that situation with the big lights. I yeah. mean, yeah, he's already in New York with the Mets, but no, it's not the big lights when you're playing for the Mets. I think that's where he's going to end up personally. Hard to say. I mean, if the Yankees go and sign Carlos Correa, are they also going to throw 100 mil at Marcus Stroman? Will he right. take less to play for the Yankees? You never really know. He so, took pretty aggressive shots at the Yankees at the traded line a couple yep. of years ago when he went to the Mets. And Cashman he said he didn't see him as like a, not a winning player, but like Cashman said something publicly that was kind of a he's not an over the top type of player. So there's bad blood there. Um, much like there's bad blood with the Blue Jays front office, obviously the Yankees situation doesn't have a history or a relationship that's been formed there. It was just kind of some, you know, uh, yeah, it was Stroman feeling about himself a certain way and the Yankees not feeling that way. And then that became public. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, teams get over stuff, general managers get over things, but that's something to consider. I, that might just be, uh, you know, cash and say, nope, because of what happened and, and move on. So we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, he, he's getting paid regardless. Yeah. So now we kind of have after those names, like a big kind of list of middling guys. One of those middling guys is another former Blue Jay. 
uh, Stephen Matz. So the Jays opted not to give Matz the qualifying offer. And this is kind of a controversial choice. A lot of people thought, you know, Matz was pretty good. Let's bring him back. But the thing kind of the, they ultimately decided, um, you know, we'll, um, we'll, we'll let Matt, Matt's test the open market. They've offered him apparently a multi-year deal. Uh, he's still testing his stuff. Where do you think Matt's ends up? Do you think, do you think the Blue Jays were right in not qualifying him? Yeah, I think there was more of a question. Um, I, I think it was a legitimate question to talk about qualifying Matt's. Um, but ultimately I think it made sense not to, and we'll see what contract he signs. Cause that will ultimately be a tell as well. Um, but the Jays are still in on Matt's. It wasn't that they were walking away from him. They offered him a multi-year deal before the qualifying offer deadline. Um, and, and are still in play for that now. And, uh, he was at the winter meetings chatting with them just the other day. So, um, yeah, and Matt's kind of seems like the guy who signs that J a Hap contract that he signed with the Jays back in 2016. I think it was like three years, 36 or something like that. Yep. I think Matt's is somewhere in that three thirty, uh, three or 30 million to three or 40 million territory. And the Jays are very much in those, uh, in those talks. Yeah. So another, another interesting name kind of um in this lower in this lower tier and i don't know if you want to really refer to this guy as a lower tier pitcher but that's kind of where he is coming off of an injury is justin verlander the jays mm-hmm. were one of the what was it like 2015 like 15 20 teams watching his throwing showcase in florida uh so justin verlander won the cy young and then came into the covid season pitched his first game got hurt didn't pitch again that yep. season and then in october had tommy john missed all of last year so this guy's pitched six innings in the past two seasons, but still, it's fucking Justin Verlander. He throws a no-hitter every time he comes to Toronto. This makes all kind of sense, right? Yeah, and he 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 will be very far removed from Tommy John's surgery by the time next year opens. So it's not like one of those guys who, you know, will be 12 to 14 months and just, like, hitting his rebound. He's pitching full strength now. And his, his velocity at his showcase the other day was reported to be 94 to 97. So to be at that place now... You know, you expect him to kind of be there around spring, potentially climbing back towards being that 97, 98 guy. Um, and, and you could probably get him for like a two year, I want to say like 40 to $50 million deal. And if that's the case, uh, I can see the Jays looking at that and being like, Hey, that's more attractive than giving five years or six years to Robbie Ray. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, you're, you're able to limit the exposure the contract has the downside it has long-term um, and he's, he's still a great pitcher. So, uh, I, I guess there's an unknown around that, but like before pre-injury was great. Tommy John has had a good success rate and his showcase went well. So there's enough there to believe in. And quite frankly, two year, $45 million isn't the biggest risk. Um, and, and I can see him liking Toronto, right? He likes the mount. He's no talking hitters. about the mound. He gets no hitters there. So, um, yeah, I, I like that fit quite a bit. And, uh, on that same Kind of going back to the Steven Matz tier of pitchers, there was a, beyond him, there was an interesting group of pitchers that didn't get qualifying offers that you maybe wouldn't have expected. Carlos Rodon being one, Andrew Descalfani being another, and John Gray being another with the Rockies. And that's kind of where I could see the Blue Jays focusing their attention. Um, if they, you know, don't do the high-end Robbie Ray type signing, uh, they could maybe go do a you know shorter term deal with Verlander and then get one of those four guys, whether it's Matt's, Gray, Descalfani, Rodon, because um, those are guys who conceivably could be two year deals, maybe three year deals, um, and and all of them had you know some red flags, but pretty you know encouraging seasons last year. John Gray has the Coors factor; you get him out of Coors Field, even though he's pitched well there. Um, there's some fatigue elements and beat up your body factors just to playing at altitude beyond just the numbers. So, 
Um, yeah, that's that's a, an area I think the Jays will really like to shop in. And I think they're quite happy those guys didn't get qualifying offers because it means they can get them without having to give up a draft pick. Yeah, there's quite a bit of names on this open market for pitches for the Blue Jays. It's not quite so much like last year where it was, there wasn't a hell of a lot going on. And, you know, this year there's a ton of different names. So if Robbie Ray does end up signing a huge deal somewhere else, then, you know, there's a whole bunch of names beneath that. Di Sclafani, great season. Actually a former Blue Jay as well, kind of a forgotten yep. member of that prospect group with Sanchez, Syndergaard, and uh, Justin Nicolino were the big three. And then you have like a UC Kikuchi again, like you mentioned, Justin Verlander, maybe bring Mads back, John Gray. There's a whole bunch of names. So uh, it's safe to assume the Jays will probably add two starters over the offseason, maybe two free agents, maybe someone through a trade. Really hard to predict, but I'm not too nervous about them missing out and not adding any starters and just losing both Ray and Mads. I mean, it, it, they're, they're, they're in, in pretty good shape here. So finally, let's finish off with the depth relievers category. The depth players and relievers category. So the 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 thing the Jays really need to do, as we kind of mentioned off the hop here, is add left-handed bats to their lineup because they were so right-handed last year. And that problem obviously gets solved if they go ahead and sign Corey Seager to a huge contract. But if they don't, then they have to find a different way to get more lefties in the mix. Like, you know, it could be internally, maybe we see more of Kevin Biggio next year when he's healthy. I know a lot of people don't like that, but it's probably going to happen. Um, you know, maybe they pull a trade for a guy, but you've got a few interesting names here on the list. And the number one, and I've seen you talk about this guy on Twitter 9 million times already, is Kyle Schwarber, who was fantastic in the playoffs this year. Yeah, so Kyle Schwarber is uh, not a defensive fit for the Blue Jays at all, right? He's, uh, that, that's kind of the con to all the pros we will address, but let's get that out of the way. He's, he's a poor left fielder and the Jays already have a poor defensive left fielder. Um, he played first base for the Red Sox out of necessity, a position he'd never played before. And maybe one he can get better at, but he obviously wasn't good having done it for the first time. Um, but the designated hitter position still exists. And he's a left-handed hitter who's not as good against left-handed pitchers. So you can use him effectively at the DH while having him back up to defensive positions and give him some days off against tough left-handed pitchers. So there's still, uh, as much as we know, the Jays like flexibility around the DH position, um, and they like to cycle guys through to keep them fresh and that type of thing, you can get a primary DH and still utilize him elsewhere and have, let's say, like 60 to 70 games to play with to hand uh, out to other players the DH. So it's not like he completely eats up the DH position for the duration of the season. And if somebody's, you know, going through it, hurting, whatever, they can't go there. So, um, yeah, the fit, despite defensively not being a great fit, it actually makes some sense. And here's where he's an asset to the Jays. One, super high walk rate. The Jays want to have more of those on-base type guys. And number two, he matches as a left-handed batter. And that's kind of this contrast that the lineup needs we talked about it with Seager yes. earlier um but having somebody that just has to be pitched you differently I think that's what uh, one thing I had never considered in the past but Atkins talked about it a lot is that if you've got five straight right-handed hitters who are maybe susceptible to a low and away slider from a right-handed pitcher they can just settle into a groove and pitch you the same way over and over and over and, and that makes life a lot easier on them. You bring in a couple lefty masters and they have to completely change the way they're pitching to them. And now they're not finding that same rhythm and they might be less effective against the next right-handed hitter. And it changes how they use their bullpen usage later in the game. So um, yeah, the, the idea of plugging a left-handed master into somewhere in the top five of the lineup is super attractive. Um, and he's a really good fit. Uh, and, and the, given he's kind of the, 
you know, poor body might not age super well type of player. I kind of have a hard line at three years. Like I'd give him a three-year deal. Um, I, you know, maybe I'd give him 15 to 18 million. Um, but yeah, if he's getting into that four-year territory, it's exceeding, you know, like 65, 70 million, then I'm probably off it. I don't think it's as good of a use of resources, but I think he makes a lot of sense on a three-year deal. Two players kind of in the same sort of ish mix. There's a, a very similar contact contra, uh, contract projection is former New York Met Michael Conforto, uh, who might be a better a, a better a bit of a better defensive fit for the Blue Jays, given he actually plays the outfield adequately well. And then there's also Corey's brother Kyle Seager, who is leaving the Seattle Mariners after decade plus of playing there, left-handed third baseman, but his bat has kind of fallen off a cliff. If if you had to pick between one of those three guys, who do you think is the best? You you think it's Schwarber, or do you think oh, Conforto is more? Yeah, I, I like Schwarber a lot um, because of the bat. Just, just straight up the bat, as we spoke about. Conforto had a monster 2020 season, like the shortened 60-game yep. season. He put up like a 158 weighted runs created plus. Like he, he had one of the best offensive seasons in baseball, um, quietly somewhat. Um, and then this year, he struggled. And I don't really know what all went into the struggles of this year for Conforto, maybe the weight of being a free agent at the end of the year. Who knows, right? There's a lot of factors that can play into this. But he's still only 20. He played this year at 28 years old. So he's young, which is obviously something that teams buy, right? Like teams love a young free agent. Um, and you would expect some bounce back. Uh, you know, he had a career low um, BABIP, or at least for the last five years, he hadn't had a BABIP as low as he had of 276 this year. Um, only 14 home runs in 125 games, not massive power numbers, but that wasn't even a huge driver for his big 2020 season. So um, 2018, 2019, 2020, he was a, 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 you know, a good to great hitter. Um, this year, he was a little bit more average. So, uh, yeah, he's maybe a guy who, you know, you'd have to give. You'd only do a Conforto signing if you traded Lourdes or Teo for, you know, pitching or whoever that might be. So that's one factor there where I don't think you would have to do that in the same way with Schwarber. Because um, I don't think Conforto, you want to bury at DH. But uh, but yeah, the, the bat is a fit as kind of number two in the list of three you mentioned. Then Kyle Seeger would probably come in the in last position for me. I think he'd be a decent add. I think there's maybe some get out of Seattle bounce back. You could expect a little bit of a career rejuvenation for a guy who most of his career hasn't had the chance to play for a contender and has played in a hard pitcher's ballpark. Um, so yeah, I, there could be some bounce back you project there, but Kyle Seeger had like a 280 OBP last year. He just didn't get on base, right? Big power numbers. Um, and and that's great, but he didn't get on base. He hasn't done that for a little while. Defensively, he's a nice fit. Left-handed bat is a nice fit, but he just he, he's not a, as good a hitter as he's been in the past. Um, and he's kind of the guy that you would choose to sign if you really spent up on pitching and spent up on an outfielder or maybe a second baseman. Then he's a you know a cheap cheaper guy you bring in. Um, but yeah, Conforto and Schwarber would be bigger ads. Seager's kind of a fallback secondary. Um, even less so type of addition. I'd be comfortable adding Kyle Seeger if it helped lure Corey Seeger to the mix. So Which next I, would... I, sorry, I, I, ironically, if you if you signed Corey Seeger, Kyle Seeger becomes way less of a good fit. Yeah, 100%. So you it would be really fun to have the brothers <laughs> play together, but one makes the other kind of redundant. So yes. yeah, but I, I love the idea. I, if, if it's not the Blue Jays, they should both sign with the National League team so we can enjoy that for a year or two. 
Um, but yeah, I don't think it works for the Jays. So now kind of to finish off as relievers and MLB trade rumors has the Jays signing two marquee free agent relievers. The first being uh, Rasiel Iglesias to a four-year deal worth $56 million. And then Kenley Jansen, who used to be the best reliever in baseball uh, when he was with the Dodgers in his prime, I think, at two years, 26 mil. Do you, do you see the Blue Jays handing out this kind of contract to fix the bullpen? Because the bullpen was terrible last year. There's no way around that, but... You know, like, is this how the Jays are going to spend their money? They never really have. I mean, they they threw some cash at Kirby Yates last year, but it wasn't even yeah. that much. This isn't really something they've ever done. I, I think they will care about the bullpen and spending there more than they have in the past. I don't think that means going for the premium top-end guys. I could see a trade where maybe they find, um, you know, a, a lower-tier team like Pittsburgh that isn't competing next year, and maybe they've got an arm with control that strikes out guys, right? And Atkins has spoken about not needing a closer. He doesn't need some established guy to come in. He just wants more swing and miss. And that's the focus. So if you're projecting relievers, um, you should be looking at maybe the setup type guys, middle relievers who just strike guys out. Um, We're recording this on Friday. On Thursday, Shaidavidi came out with an article where he said the Chase haven't even been in touch with representatives for Iglesias or Kenley Jansen. So that tells you kind of where their heads are at because uh, mm-hmm. the Jays like to be the we touch base with everybody team. So if they're just not initiating that conversation, I think that should be telling on its own right. But that doesn't mean the team isn't going to focus on relievers. I think they want to add – I think they they liked somewhat how they finished the year with the bullpen, right? Like once you stabilized it with Richards and Simber, it went from a bad bullpen to maybe an average bullpen. Nate Pearson too. Nate Pearson too. That's right. And and there's a chance that becomes next year. Uh, you spoke about that last off season. I'm now more of a believer in, in that way of thinking, but um, I would think more guys like Colin McHugh who served a really interesting role for the Tampa Bay Rays this year, um, man, they signed him to like a one year, $1.5 million deal or something like that. Just an absurd contract. Um, and he managed to give them 64 innings and 37 appearances. So he was kind of a two to three, like one to three inning guy. Super valuable to have like that. He struck out 10.4 batters per nine and only walked 1.69, an ERA of 1.55. And what a perfect fit for the Jays that would be if you could have a guy in a game where, uh, let's say they bring back Steven Matz, a guy they didn't like going deep into ball games. He only pitches five somewhat effective innings. Jays are up to. Go bring in McHugh for two innings to bridge the gap to some of the the few trusted relievers they have late in the uh, late in the game. I think he's projected his median contract was two years, uh, nineteen million dollars. I think I'd be comfortable giving him that. I think that's a really good fit. Um, two years isn't a super long commitment, and uh, yeah, I think somebody who can serve a mid-game role where they can pitch multiple innings is in some ways more valuable than these like one-inning closers that are going to fetch a lot more money. Yeah. So I really like the McHugh fit. Um, there's guys like old, old friend, Kendall Graveman, uh, had a really good year. He was, he was lights out for the Mariners somewhat unsustainably before the trade to Houston. Um, the walks kind of came back once he went to Houston, which, which, uh, dropped his numbers a bit, but super effective reliever. His contract here is three years uh, predicted or median is three years, $18 million. I think that's where the Jays will be shopping kind of that, that six to eight, six to $9 million ballpark of like one to three years. And uh, they'll make some some ads there. I wouldn't mind seeing Kirby Yates coming back on like a minor league deal. I'd like to go back and re-realize what we hoped last offseason would be now that the elbow is fixed. Um, we've heard nothing from him as far as no. rehab or anything like that. Like, he, yeah, he just doesn't exist. He got hurt, hurt and, he, yeah. and he said one thing publicly and then just disappeared. 
Um, which if you're from Hawaii, that's probably what I would do too. <laughs> I would go collect my $5 million sitting on the beach in Hawaii and, and rehab. <laughs> so I can respect that. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on, you know, an injured type reliever like that. Or um, same with Joe Kelly, right? Another guy who finished the uh -huh. year hurt um, will maybe miss a month or two to start the year, but like pretty effective this past year for the Dodgers. Um, I, I like the Jays kind of fishing in those waters. I just, it can't be the primary ad. They need no. a little more certainty. Um, and I think that was a lesson they learned last offseason, right? So they want to pursue a little more certainty, which I expect them to. And then I would like one, you know, big swing at like an injury type, just as this, like, you know, Julian Merriweather, if he's there, awesome. Like that's phenomenal if he's performing and healthy and all that, but you just don't bank on it. So uh, yeah, I think I want them to essentially raise their ceiling and raise their floor. And I think that's the approach they'll take. Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to assume that we're not going to see the Jays make a big signing for a reliever right off the hop. It's going to be, you know, uh, these big these big dominoes are going to fall first, and then they'll be the pitchers, the starting pitchers, and then towards the end, it'll be whatever relievers are left. I don't see the Jays, you know, coming out swinging and signing Kenley Jansen to a big contract and that being the first guy they signed. You know, Kirby Yates came last year in January. That's what I would expect. Also, sticking with relievers, just because I wanted to mention it, uh, because I had no idea this happened. I knew he was playing there, and I knew he was pretty good, but I didn't realize he did this well. Aaron Loop, as a member of the New York Mets, in 2021, pitched 56 innings and had a 0 0.95 ERA. I think the most stunning what? thing about that, who uh, Jay's people who remember Aaron Loop of old, is that since he's left the Jays, he's pitched for both the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Mets, and somehow the New York Mets were the team that he was incredible for. Like, that's the biggest upset of all. How do you pitch for those two organizations and the Mets are the ones to coax the, like, all-time performance out of you? Um, but, yeah, hey, look, like, he, he could be a good ad. I, I'm, you know, I colored my opinion from like history with Aaron loop plus like, okay, he's what, like 36 now. So all of a sudden I'm just going to believe that Aaron loop is elite, but Hey, the numbers don't lie. He was effective the entire season. Um, absolutely. Sign me up. I just don't know how contractually uh, high I'd be willing to go for, for what median near 14 mil over two years, seven mil per year. It's the, yeah. it's pretty much the exact same that Ryan to is getting to. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like they just both back. It shows how like volatile relief pitchers are because you like Tapera was nice at times. Loop was nice at times. You didn't feel like there were any type of loss to see them move on. And then they just go become really good in their thirties, right? Like mm -hmm. relievers are volatile. And that's part of why the Jays have kind of not committed big dollars there because of that risk. They're like, well, let's apply our dollars to positions that have a bit more performance certainty. Um, and in some ways I really get that approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are guys in that Kendall Graven class where sure, like if you can get guys for one or two years where the commitment isn't that steep, then those are the types of guys you want to do to just build out your bullpen and have a better middle class of guys you can go to in the fifth, sixth inning or the seventh, eight, if you're, you know, your third straight game where you've got a lead and you're trying to protect it late. Um, those guys are definitely valuable and that's kind of where I expect them to be shopping. All right. So before we close off here. I want you to give me your ideal off-season signings for the Blue Jays. If they can, you know, let's let's say they have a $180 million payroll. Let's go with that. Which guys do you want them to add? How do you want how do you want the Jays to look coming into 2022? Realistically, yeah, not, not, well, not, okay, just, so, not just pure roster baiting. But so let's build this off of the idea that they just do the, a quick version of this where it's Corey Seager. They get Corey Seager yeah. and then have to build out from there. So to me, that's Corey Seager, and then you've got to go – cheaper with the rotation, right? 
Yep. So uh, that's just kind of the inevitable way that would play out. So then you get one of the John Gray, Andrew Descalfani, Stephen Matz group um, as your oh, number four starter. Uh, and then one name we haven't talked about, Alex Cobb, very quietly after his trade from Baltimore to the Los Angeles Angels, had yep. a good year last year. He only pitched 93 innings, so there's some like injury attrition, build-up risk there. Um, he last pitched 150 innings in 2018, but he had career-high velocity. He's been in the big leagues for 11 years. He has never thrown as hard as he did this past year, 93.2 average velocity, and he did 3.7 ERA. Like he essentially had, you know, Steven Matt's ERA in a shortened season. He struck out over nine per, uh, per nine innings, walked 3.18. Alex Cobb is kind of a, a guy I'd be very interested in as coming, you know, bringing him in on a one or two year deal as a number five starter um, that, you know, would hopefully cost like, you know, eight to $10 million a year, not super heavy. Um, and then two of that group that we talked about, the relievers, like a Ryan Tapera and a Kendall Graveman or, you know, something like that. So, um, that group, like, let's just pick an exact name. So we'll call it Corey Seager, Steven Matz, Alex Cobb, Ryan Tapera, Aaron Loop. And that's, that's an offseason, I mean, the Jays can be thrilled about, right? Um, we just bring, bring the gang back together in the bullpen and just assume that they're going to be elite now because that makes all the sense in the world. Um, and then the non-Seager uh, prediction, like let's say it's like a Kyle Schwarber. Like let's say they build their offensive additions around Schwarber. And that, you know, and go from there. Then they've got more money to play with in the rotation potentially, right? So maybe you go Schwarber, Verlander, um, Descalfani, and then uh, maybe a bigger like reliever a, maybe too. Yeah. And then maybe like more a, cash for a Kenley Jansen or something. Potentially. I still don't see him doing it. And honestly, I like, I don't know if I want to give 13, 14 million a year to Kenley Jansen. Um, but then you, you know, maybe through trade, you go find a second baseman or a third baseman or something like that. If, if you're bringing in Schwarber, cause obviously he can't play that position. You want a little bit more cover for third base, but yeah, I think those are the two kind of ways they could go. Um, and interestingly enough, both those scenarios didn't really include Robbie Ray or Marcus Semyon. I think when the season ended, the idea of not bringing either of those back sounded or felt to most fans like a failure. Now that we're into the off season, a little bit more yeah. removed from that, you can kind of see how there's just room to build a good team that doesn't include those guys. Um, and I kind of am leaning more towards that way of how it'll play out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember um, I really talked myself into at the end of the season, like, geez, they really have to sign at least one of these guys. I really yeah. hope both come back. I had kind of thought Semyon was gone because he wanted to go out West and Ray would come back. I had accepted that. And then I talked myself into the other one that they can just throw money at Semyon, let Ray go. But I think now that I've kind of looked up and down the list and I've seen other names the Jays are actually attached to, I've become obsessed with the idea of Corey Seager becoming a Blue Jay, for example. And I think ultimately the way it is for the Jays is they don't have to bring, like you said, Semyon and Ray back to get better. They just have to, they have to add guys and get better. Add guys everywhere. I mean, there's so many options. The most important thing to remember about Robbie Ray and Marcus Semyon is, yes, losing their 2021 production is significant. But those are two players who are not guaranteed to produce their 2021 production moving forward too, right? So just by, if you brought the band back together, um, it doesn't mean that the results will be the same. I think we saw like the 90th percentile outcomes of both Robbie Ray and Marcus Semyon. And sometimes it's good to just enjoy that celebrate the fact that you got that and not make it necessary that you need to bring them back because maybe that performance drops off next year, right? Maybe the batted ball metrics with Semyon catch up to him. Maybe Robbie Ray loses a mile per hour on his fastball and then they become somewhat different players. So that's what the Jays are juggling and have to factor in. 
Um, but yeah, I think the overall message there is not returning one of those two does not outright mean it's a failure of an offseason. It's going to be a big winter for the Blue Jays. It's going to take some time because we have no CBA and the owners are now trying to get arbitration figured out via an algorithm, which is insane. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that we are not going to have a CBA signed uh, in December and this offseason is going to lag on. Anyways, we're going to have a few a few more months of speculation, a few more months of roster baiting. So yeah, we've, it's going to be a long winter, but I think it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, hopefully we get a couple of signings here before the uh, inevitable lockout happens just to wet our beak a little bit and the fun of the offseason and then uh, await the flurry that'll probably come in February, which would be fun then, but a boring long wait until yeah. that time comes. All right, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. Please, if you do get insider information that the Blue Jays are signing Corey Seager, don't post it on Twitter, wait, and we will break it on this podcast. That's how breaking news works. Yeah, absolutely. The podcast insider. (laughs) And then promises that when Corey Seager signs with the Jays, we'll break on the podcast. So everyone has to listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with some other, I don't know. We'll we'll figure some off-season stuff to talk about. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.